tonight, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful for this place and this opportunity. We're thankful for the good weather that allowed us to get out. Um, Lord, as we gather and we open up your word and we think on things of you, would you give us wisdom and insight? Would you give us knowledge that comes only from you? Would you form us and make us and transform us into the people that we are meant to be? These things we ask and pray in your name. Amen. Uh, as we go throughout, I don't know if I did a good job explaining what we're going to do. Uh, in, in seminary, one of the classes that you have to take is New Testament and, and, and Old Testament, but New Testament particularly. You do a review of the New Testament, which means that you hit um, the highlights of the books of the New Testament. Not all of them, but, but certain books. And, and that's beneficial to see how those books are written, what's the context of where they're written, what do these particular Bible stories have to say about about. Uh, God and how are they trying to say it? Like in the book of Mark, you may not have noticed, which is what we'll start on next week. In the book of Mark, the word immediately is used over and over and over again. You may not notice it as you just read it in your devotion. But if you understand that Mark is calling for the immediacy of God's kingdom, then every time you see it, it turns a light bulb on that, that gives you better understanding. Next week, we'll talk about Mark. That's what we're going to start on. We may not finish Mark. We'll talk about Mark. So here's my assignment for you. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels and the most to the point. It's the earliest Gospel um, written. So what I want you to do before next week, um, we're going to hit a few of the stories in Mark. But what I'd like for you to do uh, in, your, in your devotion time is read Mark before next week. Read Mark. Look for unifying words like immediately. Look for unifying themes. See, see what Mark is trying to convince you about the life of Jesus and what he's trying to say about God. And we're going to talk about it in more detail uh, next week. We'll also talk about the other books, Matthew and Luke, John, uh, some of Paul's epistles. That's what we're going to do this semester is kind of break open these books of the New Testament and see the structure, how they're written, what, what they have to say, and how they're, they're, the, the pivotal stories in those Gospels and those letters, how they impact our reading and who we are. But tonight I wanted to talk about um, kind of why we preach and why we look at the Gospels and what, is, what does the Scripture have to say and why do we proclaim it? Because that's what I encourage you to do all the time. I say, we've got good news. And there's always a good... See, I'm telling you again, Tom, you're going to get it two times. There's always, there's, never, there's always a good time for good news, right? That's what I said Sunday. If you slept through it or missed it, that's what I said. There's always, it's never a bad time for good news. It's always a good time for good news. And the good news is the gospel, and the good news is God's Word. And so if there's good news, we need to proclaim the good news. we got to share it with folk. Uh, and when we share it with folk, there's a reason we share it with folk. Uh, God... Um, if you read in, in, in Genesis, if we look in Genesis, uh, look in Genesis with me, grab your Bible, turn to Genesis. As I told the confirmation class, that's the easy one to find. If we did Bible drills, look in the front. Um, Genesis 1. If you have trouble finding it, just lift up your hand and uh, I'll help you. Genesis 1, look at the very front. Uh, Genesis 1, 1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good. 
and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault. It continues like that. There's a rhythm to Genesis 1, which is it talks about the things God created. The first day, separated light and dark. The second day, uh, he, in the Old Testament world, they thought of the world as a firmament, like a snow globe. There's all these chaotic waters, and God puts a globe over the earth to hold back the waters to bring peace and calmness to the world. That's why it talks about, uh, uh, in, in my, my uh, translation, it says vault. Um, but that's why it talks about that separation. But do you notice uh, what God is doing, what work God is doing to bring things into creation? What does the Scripture say? How is He doing it? How is God making light out of darkness? How is God putting a vault in? How is God separating the sea from the, from the land? How is God making the animals? What does it say he's doing? God just speaks. That doesn't sound very hard, does it? God speaks and he brings stuff into being. God spoke. So God's creative ability comes through what? Speaking. God's creative work comes through speaking. God, God wants us to realize that there's spoke. At creation, God said light, and God spoke, and it was, it was done. In our modern mindset, what do we place emphasis on? Do we place emphasis on the spoken word anymore? In our modern world, we focus more on what? The written word. Why is that? It came about with a printing press, right? Everything became written down. And as we look at our scripture, we look at the written stuff. But for years and generations and generations of, of faithful folk in the Old Testament and New Testament, they didn't have this. What did they have? They passed it down through voice. You told stories. Think about your family. How many of you have written down what grandmama told you about the family? Almost none of you, right? And then grandma dies and you say what? I wish she had written this down. But as you gather together for Thanksgiving or Christmas after mama's gone or daddy's gone or grandmama's gone or granddaddy's gone and you start to try to remember, you go, now what was that story? And you start it and then a brother or sister or cousin goes, oh, wait, you forgot about this. And if you all got together, what could you do? You could put it all back together. But you learned it through voice, through repetition. And when you tell it back, you don't just tell it back. Like, like if I'm telling one of my family stories, like the time my uncle uh, borrowed uh, a mortar simulator from the National Guard for 4th of July uh, and took it out in the pasture, and we all thought it was great until we got the police call because somebody heard a loud explosion that rattled the wind. But when we tell that story, we tell it in the same inflection that we heard it. We tell it in the same, we just pass it down. And that's what the scripture was. It was passed down. You, you have those long genealogies, not because they wanted to write down a genealogy, but because that's how they told it. And, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and that was so-and-so's mama, and that was so-and-so's aunt. The word became flesh. The word, not the written word, the spoken word. In fact, if you read John, the word for word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. And logos, the best way to describe logos is, is this. It's the best way I ever heard it described. Um, 
Have any of y'all ever seen documentaries on how baseball bats are made? Um, you know, they, they take the piece of wood and they turn it and they, they make the shape of the baseball bat. One theologian said logos is like, um, is like what turns that baseball bat into a bat, what makes that piece of wood a bat. It's not a bat because you formed it. It, it was, uh, I'm describing it terribly. Forgive my bad analogy. It's what makes us who we are. So when it says the word, the logos became flesh and dwelt among us, it's saying that word that, that, that caused everything to come into being, that word that was the power that made God's creation a reality, all of that stuff is important because it shows us that God finds the power in the voice. Um, Jesus is logos, um, but the spoken word is primary throughout all. And as we go into more depth over the coming course of the next few weeks in the New Testament, remember that while it's written and we can analyze every word, it's equally important to realize that it was a spoken word first. The four gospels were spoken before they were written. Mark's gospel was written in what year? We'll talk about this some more next week. Anybody know? It was written around... 40 to 50 A.D. Jesus died when? 32, 33 A.D., 30 A.D. In fact, they think Jesus was actually born in 3 B.C., if you really want to throw your calendar off. But um, 30 A.D., 32 A.D., how many years is that between Jesus' death and the writing of Mark? A decade. Now you go, that's not a long time when you're talking about 2,000 years. Friends, a decade ago was 2008. What were you doing besides losing all your retirement in the stock market? What were you doing? That may be all you can remember. If I said, what were you doing in 2008? So that's, that's what we see. The written part is not as important as the spoken part. Uh, Luke 2, if you look at Luke 2, the good news begins with what? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy uh, of the nations. Uh, so the first announcement is a vocal announcement. Behold, I bring you good tidings. Jesus often says throughout the, the, the New Testament, let he who has ears hear. He wants us to realize that the spoken word has power. Pentecost is all about what? Spoken word. Uh, we, can, we can witness all we want with our actions, which is a good way to do it. Uh, uh, I, who was it? Mother Teresa? It, no, it probably wasn't Mother Teresa. I'm going to give her credit, though. But it says, you know, t tell about your faith. Use words if necessary, um, which implies that you can just act it, act it out, which is great. But it's also good to use words because words have power. Pentecost shows us that words have power. When we hear about Pentecost, what does it say? Everybody spoke in a different language. That's what it says, isn't it? Read it, because it really doesn't say. It says, everyone heard them speak in their own language. So everybody hears the translation in their own language. That's in Acts 2. Paul's letters were spoken uh, before they were written. He speaks them out as they're written. Uh, Revelation, I heard a loud voice. Uh, the gospel spreads through preaching, uh, the good news going out. Uh, it's all about this spoken word, and their spoken word promise. That's probably why my worship and preaching teacher used to get mad. And I, I don't follow his advice here, but 
he would go to read a passage of Scripture in our class. You go, I'm going to read to you from Psalms 150, and all of us, well, the Baptists in the room, would get out their Bibles because the Methodists would just look around like, what's a Bible? Uh, we'd go, we left that at home. But um, he'd go 150, and all the, all the good Baptists would start flipping through, and he'd go, put your Bibles up. And it would break their hearts. It would just, it would just stun them. So, and he'd go, I just said I'm going to read it to you. And they go, but I want to follow along. And he goes, you're trying to catch me making a mistake. I'm going to read it out loud to you. Can you understand what I'm saying now? And they go, and he go, then just listen. Let he who has ears hear. Now, we don't do that here. I tell you to turn with me, and then we put it on the screen, and then you're following to see if I make a mistake in my reading. But, um, but that's, why, that's what he would always say. Uh, we need to realize that, that there's power in, in vocalizing your faith. So how do we vocalize our faith? How do we share our faith through words authentically and make sure that it's God's word and not our word? When you go to the Old Testament, do you, if you've been in here with me, you've probably heard this before. There are three distinct offices in the, in the, in the church. Um, three distinct offices in the church. Do you remember what they are? The priestly, the prophetic, and the king, right? You got priest, prophet, king. When you read through the Old Testament, priest, prophet, king, priest, prophet, king. Who had the highest ranking in the structure of the, 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 the government and church in that model. The prophet. We've talked about that. We always think it's the king, right? But it's not. The king is actually here. The priests are in the middle. And the prophet is the top. Why is the prophet the top? Does anybody remember from our study why the prophet is the top of the pyramid? Because God speaks through him. And it's not his words, right? Or her words. They're not supposed to say anything that didn't come directly from God. So when the prophet, that's why, uh, remember David. David takes Bathsheba and kills her husband um, and then doesn't repent. And his friend comes to him and says, what? You've done this thing. Now, in modern society, if you go and tell the, in the 1800s, if you go tell King, or the 1700s, if you go tell uh, King Henry VIII or Elizabeth that they've done wrong, what happens to you? You get your head lopped off. And in King David's time, if you go tell him that, you get your head lopped off unless you're a prophet. Because then it's not you talking, it's the Lord talking. And if you're going to go before the king and tell him that, you better make sure it's God talking and not you talking because you're taking great personal risk. So the prophet speaks, but he speaks God's word. So how do we make sure that when we talk and speak for God, how do we make sure that we're speaking for God and not us? By the script. We're fixing to delve in. We're going to get the, the points to do it. Because here's the thing I find. We, we like to make our pet peeves be what God wants. You know, uh, I had one, uh, one church one time that taught confirmation. They wanted me to teach the confirmands that there was supposed to be no food in the sanctuary and that that was biblical. Now, I don't like food in the sanctuary. Don't get me wrong. But there's nothing in the Bible about it. And I can't make up something. I, and, and they go, but they're, they're, the Bible, and I go, the Bible, and on the altar, they used to slit bulls' throats and let them bleed out. 
I don't think they were worried about a cupcake stain on their, 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 their stone. I can't make it say what it doesn't say. Uh, so I won't tell them that. I will tell them, don't take food in the sanctuary. I won't say God said, don't take food in the sanctuary. So how can we do it? We, 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 we share our faith uh, biblically. We share our faith biblically and we speak biblically when we take the text on its own terms. In other words, when we let the Scripture say what the Scripture says. Not what we've interpreted it to say, but what it actually says. Remember that the Bible is a large collection of diverse books. We talked about this for the confirmation class today. I told them to look at their glossary and see all those different books. It's a diverse set of books, and those books are made up of things like the Gospels, the Epistles, which are the letters of Paul, the lesser letters, not the lesser letters like lesser, but the shorter letters, the lesser prophets, the shorter prophets, the longer prophets, which we call major prophets, the, the Psalter, the, the wisdom literature, the, the Torah, uh, the, the priestly books. You've got all these different books, and they have a function, and they say specific things. Don't read what's not there. One time I asked a, a group to tell me the, the, the Christmas story. They started telling me the Christmas story, and I go, which gospel is that in? And they told me, all of them. And I said, no, it's not. How do I know that? What does Mark not have? Doesn't have a Christmas story. John doesn't have a Christmas story. Matthew tells a different Christmas story than Mark does. We just put them all together which I don't mind because it tells the full story of Jesus. But we need to realize we bring sometimes a, a, a different perspective uh, than, than the Scripture means, and we need to read it in its own voice. If it's prophetic literature, read it like it's prophetic. If it's a gospel, read it like if it's a gospel. If it's an epistle, read it like it's an epistle. Now, what do I mean by that? Paul's letters were written for specific churches and specific circumstances. So if you're going to be authentic when you share the Paul's writings, what do you need to do? You need to understand who he was writing it to and what he was writing it about and why he said it uh, in order to be faithful in sharing it. Because here's the thing you'll learn when you're reading Scripture or when you're sharing Scripture. I can find a verse in this Bible that justifies anything I want to tell you. If I want to tell you something, I can find something in here that makes it sound like I'm telling you the truth. But if you look at it as a whole, it changes everything. Like, let's say, let's say uh, up at Magnolia, they had some kid acting up. Dr. Lishman can find something in the Bible about stoning children to death. And sometimes that seems like a good idea. They got, they got, rocks, in the, they got rocks around there. He can find some. You can dig a hole and stone a child. That'll work, right? It works for, for the, in the Bible, it says if they're disobedient, you know, go at it. But then you read the New Testament, and what does it say? Uh, you know, practice grace, uh, live in love, train them up and teach them in the ways that they should go and they won't depart from you. I was quoting that to Bob earlier today. That's why I told him he needed to come to Bible study so I could train him up and teach him in the ways that he should go. That's, that, we got to take it in its entirety. Let it say what it says. If it's a law book, read it like it's a law book. If it's, if it's a Torah, read it like it's the Torah. Uh, also, we got to make sure that the message comes uh, from the text and not from us, and not vice versa. 
like I said, a lot of times we'll try to just we'll try to win an argument by going and searching the scripture for what proves our point. You think when God wrote the scripture, he thought, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure that Bubba wins that argument. So I'm going to put this in there so Bubba can share it later. That's not why he wrote it. Even if that's what we want to do with it, that's not why it's written. We need to let the message come to us. That means we read it and read it again until it speaks to us, and then we can share it with other, other four. Uh, uh, there was, a, there was a, a famous preacher that says, Every text wants to speak for itself. To force our own shape on it is like covering the Cathedral of Notre Dame with vinyl siding. When we, when we impose our opinion, when we impose our reading onto Scripture, it's like wrapping a cathedral in vinyl siding. We need to make sure we let it speak to us. I use the lectionary when I preach. I don't know if y'all know what the lectionary is. It's a, it's a three-year cycle of Scripture. Every, every week there's a New Testament, an Old Testament, a Psalter, and a, um, what did I say, and a an epistle. So you've got four texts a week. If you ever want to follow along and, and try to figure out which one I'm reading, you can go to textweek.com. That's where they list all the, the readings for the week, and you can read them along with me if you want to. Text, text, T-X-T, week.com, textweek.com, and uh, it'll give you all the readings for that, for that week. You can read, there's four of them every, every week. But I re- I, I, I'm a lectionary preacher because I find if I preach on what I want to preach on, I get real repetitive. And I tend to bring what I want to say to the text instead of the other way around. If I read a lectionary, here's what happens a lot of times. If you want to know the sermon writing process for me, I read all four of them. I read them again. I pray over it. I read it again. And then I think, Lord, who would, and, and I go, Lord, who would pick these four texts? To read from who would pick these four texts to preach on and sometimes I'm like I don't want to preach any of them but you keep reading and eventually one of them kind of comes out and you go okay Lord you obviously want me to pick this one what do you want me to say and that's why Mary Ann says sometimes I get weird stuff that's what she tells me she goes sometimes you I don't know what you're going to talk about and I go okay that's good but um but that's how it, that's how it works but that forces me and if you find a reading like that it forces you to read stuff and examine stuff that you might not otherwise. Uh, you also want to uh, use a valid hermeneutic when you're th- seeking Scripture to share with others. Uh, that word comes from the Greek god Hermes, hermeneutic. Hermes means you speak two languages, that of God and humans. Uh, the problem is, how do we make the journey from then until now? Every Scripture was written in a context but we need to bring it into our context. So we need to find a way to read it so that it's, it's, it, it's relevant then, but it's also relevant now. When I did youth ministry, I found that was the, that was the challenge, to, to take Scripture, read it, and say, how does this apply to an 18-year-old now? How does this apply to a 15-year-old? What do, what do they need to hear from it. So you got then and now, and it's got to, you got to bridge that gap when you're sharing. Because you can't talk, to, if you're sharing your faith, you can try to talk to some folks, but if you're not coming from the same place, it's hard for them to hear. Um, uh, one, of, one of my 
because think of it this way. Think of it this way. I'm not saying God can't speak this way, but think of it this way. We come from the richest country in the world. Let's say you go on a foreign mission trip to uh, El Salvador or Honduras or, or somewhere like that, and you go down there with your American wealth, because you may not think you're wealthy, but go to Nicaragua, your, your wealth. We go down there with our American wealth, and, and, and imagine if I went down there as a preacher with my American wealth. I'm standing on the stage preaching to him, and I picked the, uh, the scripture that says, uh, blessed are the poor, you know. And I go, it's good to be poor. They're looking at me saying, what? You're crazy. It's, I'm, living, I'm living the poor. You're not living the How do you know it's blessed to be poor? But if I get somebody else in there who's lived through poverty, and they go, blessed are the poor, then what? All of a sudden, it starts to make sense. We got to share and bridge that gap. We got to find that common ground. Most importantly, though, if you're going to share your faith, and when we share our faith, the focus has to be on God and what God is doing, not on us. My least favorite funerals. I go to. I get to go to lots of funerals, friends. The funeral director is probably the only person that hears more funeral sermons than me. The worst funerals are the ones that the preacher gets up there and starts talking, and they say, I and me, a lot. And they never talk about the person that's in the casket, and they never talk about the God that loved them. I want to look at them and go, I want to scream from wherever I'm sitting in the chapel, usually in the back. I want to scream from the back of the chapel. It's not about you. Stop talking about you. It's not about you. That's how you experienced it, but it's not about you. It's about them and God. That's what it's supposed to be about. Anytime we share our faith, if we talk too much about ourselves, we make it about us. Now, it's fine to share your testimony, but don't make yourself the hero of your testimony. You can't be the hero of your testimony. Who's the hero? God's the hero. So when you go, you can't say, I did, and I did, and I did. You need to say, I couldn't, and God did. Or when you're sharing your faith, if, you, if it makes it sound like you're the hero, it, it just turns people off. Uh, it's, not our, it's not works righteousness, it's, it's, and it's not sin failure, and it's not moral effort that makes us what we are. It's God that does that. Uh, it's God that does that. In confirmation today, we were talking about what confirmation meant and what we were going to be doing and how we we're going to uh, talk about the basics of faith. And at the end of the class, I was going to offer them the opportunity to, to accept Christ if they wanted it or to keep examining further in their life. And I said, why do we do confirmation? And they all looked at me with their mouths open and their eyes glazed over and said, why do we do confirmation? They kept looking at me like that. And I said, why do you need confirmation? They go, mm, you know, I don't know. I said, I said, have y'all heard of God? Yeah, they'd all heard of him. Thank, thank, y'all have done y'all's job. They've at least all been introduced to the concept of God. So they've heard about God. I go, do you have a basic understanding? Mm-hmm. And I go, could you learn more? And they go, mm-hmm. And I go, that's why we do confirmation, so that you can learn more. I said, but here's the thing. God does the good work. God does the good work, but he wants us to grow with him. But he's the acting. He's the action. We, we receive his power. We talked about the Trinity and how God's the source, and Jesus is the way, and the Spirit's the power. So when we talk about our faith, we go, God created us. 
Jesus gives us the way to be in relationship with God and each other, and the Spirit gives us the power to make it all possible. You may say to me, but preacher, I don't know how to share my faith. Here's what I would tell you. Open your mouth and let words come out. You say, I don't, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't have the right words, and I don't have all the answers. And you know what I tell you? It doesn't matter. Friends, I have preached sermons. We're talking about Tom saying, do we need them? Do we need more than once? Probably. I have preached sermons on stewardship. I have preached sermons. I have hit the pulpit and raised my voice. And when I went back to shake hands, not here, somewhere else. When I went back to shake hands in the back, somebody said, that's the good sermon on loving your neighbor. And I go, which church? Did you sneak in from a different church? And, I, and then I will be up here preaching sometimes. And it, it happens a good bit. I'll be up here preaching. I'll think, that is the worst piece of garbage I've ever put out there. I stumbled and bumbled and messed it up. And I, I couldn't find words. And, the, the thing, and I'll be shaking hands. And somebody will come out the door with tears in their eyes going, that is the most amazing Thing. And then I'll be up here and I'll think, I have Billy Grahamed it today. And I'll walk, I'll walk out the back. And you know what everybody tells me on the way out the door? Have a nice day, preacher. Sure is pretty outside, preacher. And I think, okay. Here's what I'm telling you. When the words leave your mouth and they fly through the air, you know what happens? That spirit takes it. And just like at Pentecost, they all hear in their own voice, what God's trying to say. You don't have to say perfect stuff. Some of the best, best evangelists I've ever seen, some of the best faith sharers in church couldn't string together two sentences, but they knew how to talk about Jesus. And they shared it with everybody that they came in contact with. Um, so we need to, to make sure that we, we study. And as we get into this, how do we study so that we can share effectively out of our, out of our study? Because as we study, we grow, and when we grow, uh, God uses. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Uh, as you read through your Scripture, find a pattern that works for you. Um, some folks like to read their Scripture right before they go to bed. How many of you tried that and fall asleep? That's the prayer thing too, right? I'm going to pray right before bed. I'm just going to get under this electric blanket and I'm just going to pray. And it's like, dear Lord. And then the alarm goes off and you go, amen. You know, because you just, you just wake up. I've seen some of y'all do that in church. Emily talks about Pope Baptist Church and, 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 and a guy that was there said he had one of those big old Bibles. You know, one of the big, like, I'm, I'm, I'm super Christian. I'm carrying my burden in this Bible. It's like a big giant stone. But he would take it and open it. Not to what the preacher was reading, just open it so it sat comfortably in his lap. And he'd, he'd go to sleep with his head looking at the Bible like he was deep in just prayerful. Con Find a routine that doesn't put you to sleep. If it's getting... It's just like working out. I work out every day. You know what I do? I get up an hour early. Do I like getting up? No, but I, I'm more likely to do it first thing than last. You may be the, the opposite. Find a time that works for you. Here's another great thing. 
The Bible is on audio now. If you've got a smartphone, there are apps that will read the Bible to you. Instead of listening to them talk about how there's no Major League Baseball trades going on or listening to how you know, Alabama won the national championship or how um, the Eagles and this and, and how they're going to run a 4-3 defense as opposed to a 3-4 or listen to Fox News, which some of y'all just have on a loop all the time. They say the same. I've, my parents watch Fox News all the time. They repeat the same story all, all day. Turn it off for a second. Get you a Bible app and let it read to you. Let it read to you. Find the time, whether you're in the car, find the time to, to, to open that up. Find a, a program that works for you. Find something that gets you reading and gets you spurred along. And here's what you do. Here's a good way to study. Uh, I, y'all probably already know how to study, but I find it helpful to, to give uh, suggestions on, on the best way to engage the text. First of all, just read the text. Read it. If you're like me, if you're like me, you, how many of you grew up in church? I think Wednesday night, I'm pretty sure that was going to be a, a pretty good swap. How many of you have been in church longer than a decade? Okay, so you've heard, you've heard most of the scripture already. Except maybe something from Habakkuk. You probably never, you didn't even, you're like, is that in the Bible? Yes, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah, go, go find those books, okay? But, but when we read a, a scripture, what do we do? What do we, what do, we do when, we, when we read the scripture? You get to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And you don't even read it, do you? You get there and you go, for God so, oh, I know this part. And you skip ahead to 17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to, that the world might be saved through him. And then you just, you skip over the stuff you know, or you read it fast. Read the text. Read it. Don't read what you think it says. Read it. Here's the thing I found in my devotion and in my sermon prep and in my study time. Every time I read it, a different word strikes me. Every time a different word jumps out, a different part of the story comes out. Read Zacchaeus. There are about 18 parts of that story that can jump out at you. And you go, what? I don't understand. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the... But if you read it, he's short of stature. Okay, that's one thing. That may strike you one time. He was a tax collector. That may strike you another time. And he was wealthy. That might strike you. And then you go study why he was wealthy, and you realize he robbed a lot of people to get that wealth. And then the people were disgruntled, and they grumbled. And you go, wait a minute, they grumbled. And every time you read it, it becomes more alive. So read the text. And read it out loud. Find a quiet place where you can read it out loud. It sounds different when you read it out loud than it does in your, in your head. Um, than it does in your head. So read the text aloud. Uh, uh, the text was oral before it was written. There was a famed um, uh, uh, pianist who said, Play nothing before you hear it. First hear, then play. What he was trying to say was, you you got you got you got you got to listen and and hear how it sounds before you you bring it out read it with expression don't be monotone read it as best you can with expression and inflection um, uh, and read it as if you're hearing it for the first time so make sure you read it and hear it then engage the text here's the part we don't always do a good job with uh, we we say god said it he meant it i believe it well that's good but do you remember um, uh, in the Abraham story, you may not have picked this up, 
When you're reading the Abraham story, uh, Abraham argues with God a lot. You remember that through the story? He argues with God a lot. He especially um, starts to argue um, throughout the thing about, about descendants and all that. But it gets to the point where, where um, God wants him to sacrifice Isaac, right? He's going to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice. Abraham goes, okay, takes him up on a mountain, goes to sacrifice him. God stops his hand, and you go, isn't that a wonderful story that we tell at Vacation Bible School about parents sacrificing their children on mountains? Uh, we do. We should not share that at Bible school. But if you read it, if you read that Abraham story, notice what happens after Abraham try, tries to sacrifice Isaac. It says, and the Lord stops. It basically says, and the Lord stops speaking, or they stop speaking after that. Now, why is that? Because everything else in Abraham's life, he argues with God about until God tells him to do this unthinkable thing and Abraham goes, what? Okay. God, throughout the Old Testament, I think we see that God enjoys it when his people not challenge him, but engage him. Now you go, that's blasphemy. I don't think so. God wants to have a relationship with you and a relationship is what? Back and forth. If, you know, if you've got a brother, sister, a husband, or wife, a mama, or father, you love them, right? But sometimes you disagree with them. Do you do all disagree sometimes? I can't imagine. Never. But you still love each other, right? You love each other, and, and no matter what, but you enjoy that interaction. If you didn't fight, sometimes you'd miss it, right? You go, you're just, you're just, you're just uh, placating me. You're just saying what I want to hear. Tell me what you really think. I think sometimes God looks at us and says, tell me what you really think. Because we can't deal with it if you don't just put it out there. God wants us to question and dialogue and argue and agree and disagree. But the main thing I think God wants us to be with the text is honest. If something doesn't strike you right, be honest about it and say, God, I don't understand it. Like for me, I don't understand when Jesus tells the woman that, that she doesn't deserve the crumbs. She doesn't deserve a place to table. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. You, I, will never, I don't ever preach on that scripture because I don't understand it. I don't even like it. I'll tell you that. I don't like it. I don't understand because everything else we see Jesus is loving and grace-filled. And then he looks at this woman and says, you don't deserve what's on the table. And then she has to say what? But even the dogs get the crumbs and he goes, good point. And I'm like, that Jesus doesn't make sense. I don't know that. I don't understand that Jesus. But here's the thing. I love that Jesus. I just don't understand it. But I look at God and I go, I don't like that God. And God goes, okay, but it's still, it's still part of it. You got to take it as a whole, but you can argue with it. Look for the unusual details. Um, as we get into Mark next week, We'll see that Jesus wasn't led into the desert in Mark. What was he in the desert? Driven into the desert. Forced into the desert. That's what that word is. He is, he is compelled into the desert. Not, not, not hey, Jesus, let's, let's go in the desert if you want. He's driven into the desert. Look for those words that just stand out and maybe give a different context. Um, stand in the shoes of different characters. Here's what I found. Most time when we read the scripture, who do we identify with? Jesus. We, we identify with the good guys. Don't just read it from the perspective of the good guys. Read it from the bad guys. Because sometimes, folks, we're the, 
We're the bad guy. We're the folks Jesus is fussing at, not the folks that Jesus is patting on the head. Uh, read it from different perspectives. Uh, and then uh, determine what the context is. That's why we're going to study next week and throughout the course, the context of all of the scriptures in the New Testament or a lot of them. Uh, and we're going to say, what's the focus? Uh, what's the focus of, of, of these texts and, and, and how does it function? Uh, so that's, that's where we need to be. We need to read authentically. We need to take from it authentically. We need to be honest. Most of the time when I talk to non-Christians, you know what, what frustrates them the most about the church? What frustrates them the most about Christians is that they're not honest. We're not, we present this facade. And when we present this facade, we're not real. We act like we don't have any trouble. We get our kids, I always tell folks this, uh, be nice uh, to folks when you see them at church because most of them have had a horrible morning. I'm not sure about your family, but most families have horrible times getting to church. I don't know why church is so hard. The devil, I think the devil is why the church is so hard. But usually they've had about 15 fights. I don't know if you remember uh, getting to church as a kid or getting your kid ready for church. There's more threats of beatings, right, on the way to church. If you don't put those those pantyhose on, if you don't put those shoes on, where is your other shoe? I'm going to kill you if you don't get me that other shoe. Just get in the car before I grab you by the head and throw you in the car. You pull into the church parking lot on two wheels, yelling and screaming at the person in the back seat. You open the door. Then your wife looks at you and says, stop screaming. People can hear you. Then you open the door and you get out of the car and you go, hey, Bob. Good to see you. And then you walk like you're this little Aryan uh, family across the parking lot and just stroll in and you breathe like you've been Mary Poppins your whole life. And, and everybody else in church goes, they look at you or the, 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 the non-believer that struggled to get to church. For the first, they look at you and they say, I, I can't ever be that. I nearly, I nearly committed murder this morning. I can't be like sister so-and-so on the pew beside me. Little do they know, they nearly committed murder too. If we would just look at people and go, sometimes faith is a struggle for me. I don't understand it. I don't understand what God's doing sometimes. Uh, we go through funerals of tragic deaths and we say, you know, all these platitudes. And I think sometimes folks just, just like for somebody to come up to them and go, this doesn't make any sense. This is terrible. I don't know why this would happen. I'm sorry. I would be devastated. You should be devastated. I would question God. You should question God. Not that, and, but here's the thing. God's big enough. God can take it. God loved it in the scripture when folks ask him questions and we're challenging him because God can do it. It's, it's, it's us that doesn't like challenges. Uh, so often in the church, what I found in youth ministry and children's ministry was the kids that you lose the most often were the ones that had the most questions. The ones that gave up on church. I don't know if you've ever had kids here that did that. They give up on church. You know why? Because they asked lots of questions in Sunday school. And you know what the teacher told them? Stop asking so many questions. Just, just, just take it. And they go, but I got all these questions. Just take it. God goes, uh-uh. We'll, we'll grow together. Be honest. Uh, the honest people do the great work. One of the great ministries in church that I've ever seen. I had a friend who started a church outside of Brandon, Mississippi. 
And, and it started small like all church plants do. Right now he worships over 600 folks on Sunday morning. Started it when we got out of seminary. Um, and it's got over 600 people blowing and going. You know what his number one ministry is there? Um, celebrate recovery. And you know why he says that works? He said, because people come in there and the first rule of, or one of the first rules of celebrate recovery is be, be, uh, be real, be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with who you are and be honest with everybody and just let your warts be seen. Because here's the thing. If God just saves the people that got it put together, what power is that of God? God takes the wrecks of this world, the Zacchaeuses of the world, the women at the well, the, the, he takes the wrecks of the world um, and, and does amazing things with them. And those are the testimonies that change lives. So when you share your story, I'm not, telling, I'm not saying make it like a lifetime movie. You don't have to share everything. But when you say what God has done for you, tell what God has done for you. I wanted to kill my kids. He gave me patience. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to quit church. I did quit church, but I came back. God did this. God did that. God spoke to me. Um, make sure that, that everything you say is grounded in this and make sure it's real and authentic and make sure it comes from here because God will take stuff that comes from here and he'll make it beautiful. He'll make it glorious. He'll make it so much more than we could make it. Um, Billy Ray Stone Street is, is, is the guy that taught me everything I know. You, if, if you like what I do you, and you ever meet Billy Ray, tell him thank you because I learned it all from him. Good and bad, I learned it from, from him. But when Billy Ray was growing up, he stuttered and he had a speech impediment. Terrible. He said God called him into the ministry and he had been bad in his, uh, in his younger days. In fact, at one point in, in uh, Silver City, Mississippi, which is just south of Belzona, he had broken into everybody's houses, which isn't hard in Silver City in the 60s because all the doors are unlocked. He broke into everybody's house, took everybody's shoes and piled them in the middle of a field. That's how bad he was. He stole a car and ran four, 14 cars off the road between Silver City and Jackson, um, driving down the wrong side of Highway 49. He was bad. And everybody in town knew him. Everybody in town knew him. He said God got a hold of him in Silver City Methodist. He gave his life over to God, and God called him to be a preacher. And you know what the first words out of his mouth were? Lord, I can't be a preacher. Nobody will believe, nobody will believe it. Nobody will believe it. And he said he stuttered, and he couldn't ever figure out the right things. He always tells folks he wasn't the best student. He said the, but one of his preacher friends or one of his uh, ministers at the time said, you're going to preach for me this Sunday night. And he said, I didn't want to. And he said, the guy told him he was on the program, whether he wanted to or not, it was his first time to preach ever. And it was a community something or other. And everybody was there because something big, like the children were singing or something. So everybody in town was there. He said he sat up on the, 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 the chancel area and his feet were shaking and his arms were shaking and he kept looking and kept more people kept coming in. He said he got his notes and he looked at them and they didn't make any sense to him. I do that sometimes too. Didn't make any sense. And he said he had lost a page. I think that's what he said. He lost a page of them. And the preacher, and he said they, they were singing and he couldn't, he didn't, he didn't hear what they said. He didn't hear the hymn and they finally introduced him. He said he got up to speak and he started to stutter and stammer and all of a sudden, it just 
came. He said, I don't remember anything I said. He said, I just know I didn't stutter. I didn't have a speech impediment. I got done. He said, I, I, I felt uh, confident. He said, the minute I said, let's pray, and I closed out and I said, amen, I started shaking again and stuttering again. I sat down. But he said, when he got done, all those folks talked about was, if God can use Billy Ray like that, he can use all of us. See, God takes your life and turns it into a testimony. But you got to be willing to be who you are and show what God has done. If God didn't change you, what, what does anybody else need him for, right? God wants to show the change and share the change. So that's what we're going to do this semester is look into the Gospels and say, how do these Gospels interact with us? How do they interact with them? And how, how does that affect our life and what we share with other people? Because here's the thing. We had a building committee meeting this week, which means that we're eventually going to build a building. You know, one of the old, well, I say that. Y'all can vote against it if you want to, I guess. Don't do that, but you could. But when we build a building, every church falls for the old trap when they come to a building. They, they, I call it the field of dreams model. You remember field of dreams? What do they say? If you build it, they will come. And churches think if we build it, they'll come. You know what? They, they don't. That's not why people come. You know why people come? Because you share your faith and you make it a place. Um, so that's what I want us to do. I want us to be intentional about faith sharing because here's the thing. When you build a building, there's two things you need. Money, and I won't be afraid to talk about that. Uh, we already got a good bit of it. We, we'll get some more. Uh, money, and you got to have more important than money, people. Because when we get more space, the one, one thing, if you were in the fellowship hall tonight, guess what? There, there, wasn't any, there weren't any, we had to bring out another table. When we build a new building, we'll have more space. But guess what? I want to fill it up too. You know why? Because it's good news. It's good news to share, and we got it, and we need to share it. So let's look at that this semester and say, how can we share it? Um, and I have run out of time. I talk all the way up to time. Y'all probably thinking, I hope we get out early. You didn't, okay? I gave you one minute. But um, next week, please read what? Mark, y'all are paying attention. Y'all good. Mark. Read the Gospel of Mark. Um, and then the next week, it'll, I know, Judy's late. She's just wandering here and there. She's probably cleaning up soup. <laughs> she was doing the Lord's work back there. All right. So Mark, before next week, but let's pray before we dismiss. Lord, you've given us voices to speak, and even though we think we're inadequate, through you there's mighty power. There's mighty change. Lord, make us faith sharers that go out and talk about our faith and live out our faith, warts and all. Lord, you've done a redemptive work in us, and we're not the same. So let us help others find that same redemptive power. Lord, you are the creator and the sustainer. You are the maker and the way. You are the power that keeps us going. Empower and strengthen us to serve you both now and forever. Amen.